All right, good morning, and let's welcome Spring Hill. Yeah. Glad to have you guys joining us this morning, and I hope you had an awesome time of worship and communion there at Spring Hill. We had an awesome time of worship and communion here in Columbia, and we're kicking off a new series today called Deadly Invitations. But before we get to it, I want to say one word about last week, and I wanted to say this to both campuses, so I wanted both of you to hear this. Thank you. Thank you for the response uh, to last week's message. I was so encouraged by it. Ebony and I were both a little nervous. And it, it wasn't because we had planned to say anything real controversial or shocking or anything like that in the conversation. It's just that conversations about race in our country right now are very divisive and people react. And so we were kind of nervous about having that conversation in front of a large group of people and online. And by the way, if you, did, if you didn't hear last week's conversation with Ebony, Go online and listen to that. The YouTube video and the Facebook views and all that is already twice as much as anything I've preached within the last year. So people are interested in the conversation, but we were worried about having that conversation because we didn't want people to react to that. But you were so encouraging and so gracious in your response and so willing to listen. And that's what's missing from the conversation is a willingness to listen. It seems like in our culture we're losing the ability to sit with another's experience, to hear from another's experience and another's story without reacting or dismissing that story. And, and you didn't do that. And I'm, I'm very thankful for that response. I didn't think you would. This is a safe place to have conversations like that. And that's another one of our core values at Murray Hills. So last week's message was about the value of we want to be more intentional in pursuing racial diversity. Uh, this week's series is based upon another core value at Murray Hills that's related to what Abby and I did last week. Uh, it's called emotional health. That's another value of this church, and we define it in this way. If you could throw that up for me. Creating a safe place for people to be real, vulnerable, and honest. The key word is safe place. The church has often not been a safe place for people to practice authenticity, which is backwards. I mean, the church should be the place where you are yourself, where you come in and you take the mask off, not where you come in and you put the mask on. And so one of the ways that we try to do that at Murray Hills is through, I just call it an emotional health series. I've done this the last several years, and that's just we take some time here in February, March, and say let's just talk about our emotional health and our spiritual health and the intersection of those things and how learning how to become more emotionally healthy helps us become more spiritually healthy. The first message that I did on this was called uh, Beneath the Surface. And I would define it as a, a transformative experience for us as a church. Not because of anything I said, but because of, of what happened in response. What happened in, in uh, Beneath the Surface is we discovered we're not alone. Like I'm not the only one that wrestles with depression. I'm not the only one that struggles with anxiety. I'm not the only one with an addiction. And like, we're not alone. There's other people in this church that are wrestling with the very same things that I'm wrestling with, and we can find healing together. And so we followed that one up with one called Beautiful Peril, which was about family dysfunction. And then we followed one up about, what was it, uh, Hidden Dragons was last Sunday, or last year. And then this year we're calling it Deadly Invitations. And every one of them have been based upon some type of story. There's usually an analogy or a metaphor or something that I've kind of built the entire foundation of the series on. Last year, it was a children's book. And uh, this year, it's a book about children. <laughs> it's not a children's book, but it's written to parents. And it's called Simplicity Parenting. Okay, uh, Kim John Payne wrote it about using the extraordinary power of less to raise calmer, happier, and more secure kids. 
I read this book because my small group said, hey, we don't want to talk about the sermons. Uh, no offense, Russ, but we don't want to talk about the sermons in our small group. We'd rather do a study of some type, and uh, we chose to do parenting. We were going to do a study on parenting. And so I bought a couple of books and read them thinking that we might use it. We didn't end up using this one, but there's a story on page 163 that became the genesis of Deadly Invitations. And so I want to read you just a, a little bit of this. It's called House Guests. And uh, Payne writes, imagine that your spouse's brother, Andy, has just moved in with your family. He's well-liked, he's a good guy, he tends to talk a lot, so being with him tends to be kind of a passive occupation, but the kids love him. They find him riveting, and they spend as much time with him as possible, and because of this, they're not getting out much, they're not playing with their friends or riding bikes as much as they used to, but that's... They love their uncle, and you figure out that that'll just kind of even out over time. Andy is entertaining. He knows a lot. Uh, he also can be very informative, but honestly, he goes too far sometimes. He shares stories and pictures that you don't really want in your house, and you don't really want your kids seeing. Some of it's scary and brutal, even provocative, but Andy, it's like he has no filter. What's more, it seems like every time you turn around, he's telling them about something else that they should want, like some reason they should be dissatisfied, like your parents aren't doing this for you, and your friends aren't doing this with you. And you can get him to knock it off, but it requires constant monitoring. I mean, you just have to stay on him all the time. He will change course, but you have to constantly monitor him. And, and honestly, you get, if, you get so tired of monitoring it that it's just often easier to just let him be, let him say what he wants and do what he wants. You might as well accept the bad with the good because you can't imagine, none of you can imagine life without your uncle anymore. When you add it up, your older kids are spending at least three hours a day with their uncle. And even your youngest, age two, has figured out how entertaining he is. And she spends more time with him now than she does outside. And you're no exception. I mean, after a long day, you kind of like to sit back and listen to Andy talk because he knows how to get your attention. And a lot of times you'll find yourself kind of leaning forward into what he has to say and what he wants to talk about. And uh, the irony of it is he also knows how to make you anxious. So his stories are not always comforting stories, and it's not always stuff you want to hear, but there's just something about I don't know. It's this weird thing. Like you want to spend more time with him, but the more time you spend with him, the more anxious he makes you feel. But you just can't stop. You and your spouse have done so much to kind of simplify your life and to simplify your kids. And uh, Andy definitely doesn't understand what you're trying to do. He seems to sabotage every effort. I mean, you, you, your meals together used to be these wonderful times of mutual sharing. And sometimes the kids would now, they would rather hang out with their uncle than sit at the dinner table and talk. And, and you've done everything you could do, but Andy doesn't get it. I mean, he just doesn't seem to, to know how often he is working at cross-purposes with you. He doesn't have kids. And as fun as he can be sometimes, he certainly isn't driven by your kid's best interest. Some of your friends don't see it either. They're under sympathetic. They're like, well, what's the problem? You know, every, everybody's got an uncle like that. Everybody's got guests that come in their house. You know, can't you just control him? But you can't. It's, it's a never-winning argument, and it seems unwinnable. And then Payne says this, the author, if you came to me with this problem, my advice would be unequivocal. Andy might be an okay guy, 
but I'd suggest you kick him out, especially if your kids are under seven years of age because Andy isn't an uncle. Andy is a screen. I would have said that from the beginning, making it clear that this house guest I was describing was really the almighty screen. I would have, but I was concerned that you would have read no further. Now, Payne wrote that 10 years ago, and his statistics are way off. Three hours a day? <laughs> That's nothing, right? I mean, three hours a day is a win. My kids are spending three hours a day with their screen? Whew, thank goodness. Thank goodness it's not five or six or seven or eight because, I mean, we live with our screens now, right? We wake up to our screens. We work to our screens. We unwind with our screens. We dinner with our screens. We exercise with our screens. We go to sleep with them laying right here sometimes. You ever wake up in the night and you can't find your phone because you went to sleep and now it's hidden in the cover somewhere? No? Okay. Well, just forget that part of the sermon. Um, You know, I mean, it it happens, right? We're with our phones all the time. And we know, I mean, we know that there's some bad consequences. We love our phones. We love our screens, just like our uncle. We love him. But we also know that the more time we spend with our screens, the more anxious we become, and and we can get irritable. And the more time our kids spend with screens, the more anxious they become, and they can be irritable. And we know it takes a toll on our emotional health, and we know it takes a toll on our mental health. And if it were a real house guest, we would tell them to knock it off. I mean, we would kick them out of the house, or at the very least, we would set some appropriate boundaries and say, hey, you've crossed the line. You You can't show my kids this. You can't show me this. We can't. This can't be in my house. If it were a person, if it were a person, we would have confronted them. Said, how dare you take up so much of my time? How dare you consume so much of my emotional energy? How dare you make me feel that way? But it's not a person. It's a device. It's a screen. And it's not like it unwillingly came into our lives. We invited it into our lives. We welcomed it. We purchased it. We begged for it. We gave it to our kids for Christmas. <laughs> and the, the series is not about screens, although I'm tempted to make this entire series about screens because I'm reading another book about it right now. So I'm, I'm tempted to make it about that, but that's not the only thing. What happened was when I read this book, or this story about house guests, I started thinking of all the other things in our lives that have a negative effect on us or can have a negative effect on us that we willingly invited into our lives all you know whether it's a device or a vice or an attitude or a thought or a you know toxic relationship things that we willingly we opened up our door and said yes please come in i'd love to have you as a part of my life some of them we knew it was bad but we did it anyway we knew it was something we didn't need we did it anyway some of it it wasn't really bad in and of itself it's just the amount of time that we spent or the way we let it affect us and our relationships made it bad. But we willingly invited them in. And, and we're, you know, like I said, not all screens. Although part one, next Sunday, is going to be screens. I'm going to do part one and talk about screens. Part two is going to be screens because I've got Stacy Jagger coming. And Stacy has worked uh, with some of our families at Murray Hills. She's written a book called uh, The 30-Day Blackout. Which, yeah, that's what it's about. And, uh, and you're going to be tempted to skip Stacy's message. Like, oh, I don't want to hear that. She's going to tell us to put our phones away. Yeah, she probably will. But there's a good reason why. And you can hear Stacy kind of talk about some of the research and the, what behind what uh, her advice is, some of the folks she's worked with. But we're going to talk that. And then, then we're going to talk about something I'm called TVMA. 
the rating of you know nearly everything we stream through Netflix and Amazon Prime. It's hard to find a show that's not rated TVMA these days. And so we're going to talk about that as a part of this series. Well, things that we welcome into our lives. Um, we'll probably talk pornography as a part of that message right there. And I'll give you fair warning so the kids can all go to children's ministry. But we'll probably talk that there. Um, we're going to talk one that I don't know what to call it yet. Um, I'm reading a book called Dope Sick that's about the prescription uh, pill epidemic in our country. And so I'm, I don't know, call it oxy or I'm going to call it pain pills or just a little drunk because a, li a little drunk, a little vaping, a little smoking, you know, it's not that big a deal. But we're going to talk about that in this series, things that we invite into our lives that have the potential to cause us harm. We're going to talk about toxic relationships and toxic people. We're going to talk about uh, bigger barns and the, the desire to have more, to always be pursuing more, thinking that bigger possessions, a bigger house, a nicer car, all that stuff is finally going to make us happier. And we're going to talk about better bodies. And I've got Abby Utter coming uh, that Sunday to preach the message. And Abby will be talking about you know, body image and body shaming and something that's gotten a whole lot worse with social media, um, not just with young women, but with young men as well. And so we're going we're gonna to talk about that in this series. I, I told you in the email, you're not going to be tempted just to skip Stacy's message. You're going to be tempted to skip a lot of these messages. Like, I almost didn't want to tell you where we were going in the series, because you're going to want to pick and choose. Like, all right, well, I'll come listen to screens, because I don't really have a problem there. But now, TVMA, <laughs> I do not want to hear that one, because I, I, know, I, know, I know what you're going to say, and I don't want to hear that one, all right? You know, I, I don't want to hear the part about toxic relationships, because... I just, I got somebody in my life, and I don't want to deal with that, and I know what you're going to say, and I just don't. So you're going to be tempted to skip parts of it, but don't. Don't skip it, and here's why. We all need to hear it, even though we all think we're the exception to the rule. Because what happens with all of the things on that list, and in your groups tonight, I'm asking you to kind of brainstorm other things I should have included in the series but didn't. But with all the things on that list, we all think in the back of our mind that we're the exception to the rule. Like, I know, I mean, I know, listen, I know screens are a problem, but I, I can handle it. It's not that big a deal. Like, I know, like, I know some people get anxious the more they look at social media, but I don't really let it affect me in the same way as most people. I really don't. And, and, and like the mature content or online content, you know, I mean, my kids are, are old enough to see that. I mean, they see stuff worth stuff in school. So, I mean, they're old enough to watch some of that stuff, and they can handle that. And they can, they can, I mean, it's, they're, they're mature enough to handle it, and, and we are too. And I can drink a little, and I'm not going to go too far with it, or I can use a little. I mean, I can take my friend's prescription meds, and I, that's... I'm just doing it for a little while, and it's just, for, I'm not, I got this under control is what I'm trying to say. I, now, we don't verbalize this. This is, I'm just doing our inside thinking here. This is the way we think inside. I can manage it. I know it's dangerous. I know I've invited it into my life. I know it has the potential to hurt me, but I can manage it. I can control this. I've got this under control. I've got it. Every person I've ever talked to wrestling with an addiction, whether it's drugs or sex or screens or food whatever work every person wrestling with addiction at one point said i've got this i'm good i can handle it it's the problem i know it's a problem but it is manageable for me until it was no longer manageable because at some point you discover if you play with fire you will eventually get burned
Now, that's something your mama told you, right? That's mama's advice. I got bad news for you this morning. Mama stole that from somebody else. His name was Solomon. We think it was anyway. Proverbs chapter 6. Look at this question right here in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 27. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? In your small groups, I'm going to ask you to look at the context of Proverbs chapter 6 because it explains why Solomon is asking that question and he, better than anybody, ought to know. But just look at his question. Can you scoop fire into your lap without your clothes being burned? The obvious answer to the question is no. If you play with fire, you will get burned. Mama was right, and the Bible was right. If you play with fire, you will get burned. We all know that, but we think we're the exception. It'll never happen to us, right? I don't know if I've told you this story or not. I may have. I've been here 15 years. It's really confusing sometimes to know which stories I've told you and which I haven't. But this one happened about 10 years ago, and the statute of limitations, I feel, has run out on it. So I feel that it's a safe place to say and tell this story now. It's a story about the last time that I shot fireworks with David Baxter. Um, and this was a 4th of July. I think it was 10, maybe 12 years ago. It was at his house when he lived out in Hampshire. And this was a 4th of July. And so some folks from our small group had gotten together. We had a swimming party, and then we were shooting fireworks. And we were shooting the big bottle rockets. like the. It's got the big tube and the the big long fuse you drop it down in there you light it well you're supposed to have it down in there and then light it don't don't drop light it and then drop it down in there that's a that's dangerous so you you light it we were doing two at a time so me and a buddy i think it was west duncan actually we were doing the two and like we were lighting it and then running away and all the kids were on the porch watching now there's a couple of rules when it comes to fire safety and fireworks rule number one don't put the box of unlit fireworks close to the area of where you're shooting the fireworks off. And, and we had had, you know, we were planning a big show. So we had a cardboard box full of unlit fireworks. So rule number one, don't put those close to the area where you're shooting. Rule number two, don't park any motorized vehicles like a Gator or a Mule, Kubota. Don't park any vehicle like that close to the area where you're shooting the fireworks. Rule number three, under no circumstances should you put the box of unlit fireworks on the front seat of the gator and park it near the area where you're shooting the fireworks. And you see where this is going, right? We didn't, because what are the chances? I mean, what are the chances? Do you realize what would have to happen for one of those bottle rockets to land in the box of unlit fire. I mean, it would have to be falling over at just the right angle. All the way down, it's no problem. It would have to be falling over. It would have to shoot out of that just at the time it was falling over. It would have to go under the roof of the gator and in between the seat of the gator. What is that, like three, four feet? And then it would have to land perfectly in the box of unlit fireworks. What are the chances? That'll never happen. The chances are 100% that that's going to happen. At least on that night, that 4th of July, the chance was 100%. And that's what happened. We lit one of them. It started falling over. We ran. The fireworks shot out just as it was falling over. It went between the roof and the seat of that gator, and it landed in that box of unlit fireworks. And you say, I wonder what would happen 
if that ever happened. I can tell you what would happen. They go everywhere. They, the whole box caught on fire, and they started shooting off everywhere. Kids are running, ducking for cover. They may have been jumping in the pool. I don't remember. It was just like mass chaos. Then the cardboard box caught on fire. And it was kind of funny. It was like, oh, look at this, the firework. Then the seat of the gator caught on fire. Then the dash of the gator caught on fire. And now it's like fire department scary. Like, isn't it, it ain't funny anymore. I mean, this, it, it's gators on fire. I mean, we, we run back to the house. We get the water hose. I mean, it truly, we should have called the fire department because we're worried about the gas tank and all this stuff. But we run out there and douse it with the water hose and get it out. All the plastics melted on the front seat. All the fireworks are gone. The dash of the things melted. I mean, it, the party's over. <laughs> okay. One, all the fireworks are gone. Um, two, all the kids are crying. Three, David's crying. I think I didn't look him in the eye. Um, and <laughs> we just left. And I've never been invited back to his house to shoot fireworks since then. Uh, he's always got other plans. I, we're still good friends. I was at his house last weekend, but come 4th of July, he's always got other plans. Um, but <laughs> it's a perfect analogy if you think about it. We never think it'll happen to us. Like, if you would have broke it down, if you were like, guys, 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 come back here, come back here. Look at this right here. Do you see any potential for something bad going on right here? Look how close this thing's parked to these, and look at this box. Do you see any potential? You've done this with your teenagers before. Do you see any potential that this could go bad? Oh, sure, we, yeah, if you'd have put it like that. But in the midst of it, we never saw it coming. We never thought it would happen to us. And I saw Tim out there in the back, you know, greeting everybody. And, and I bet if I asked Tim, you know, hey, of the fire department calls you had, how many of them were something like that? People were just being stupid. They just weren't thinking. They were just, and they just thought, what are the chances? This will never have. This will never catch on fire. This will never get out of control. I can drop this frozen turkey in this big vat of grease, and it's not going to be any problem whatsoever. I can use a little gasoline to douse the fire and get it going a little bit, and it's not going to explode on me. I mean, there's got to be so many stories like that. How many families, look at this image right here, how many families have stood in front of uh, the ruins of a burned out home and said, I never thought it would happen to us. Just never thought. What are the chances? As a pastor, I've seen a lot of people stand in front of a ruined marriage or a ruined career or ruined relationships or ruined health saying just never thought it would happen to me i just never i never thought it i thought i had it under control i really thought that i could manage it i I really thought i had it so what do you do about it what do you do about this situation the verse i'm going to take you to is one that we're probably going to spend a lot of time with in this series. So I'm just going to introduce it today. It's Matthew chapter 11. And it's a familiar invitation. Okay, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus says this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And we're familiar with that invitation. We've seen it dozens hundreds of times come to me all you who are weary and brokenhearted and i will give you rest that is an open invitation of jesus but there's something that we have to do before we're able to hear and accept that invitation 
and it's actually right in the text. I had not seen this before, but I just started looking at the context of Jesus. Like, why did Jesus say, come to me? Why was he inviting people who were weary and brokenhearted? Why was he inviting them to come get rest? And if you look up just a few verses earlier, in verse 20, here's the context. It says, Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Cherizium. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Repentance is how we get to the invitation. And let me explain why. Okay, repentance is not just asking forgiveness for your sins. I know that's, that's what we, you know, repentance is just saying I'm sorry. Repentance is more than that. Repentance is knowing that you're walking in one direction and then realizing that I need to turn around and walk in another direction. That's repentance. It's not just sorry, but it's actually turning around. So repentance requires recognition. The first step of repentance is realizing I've got a problem. This is not manageable anymore. This has taken over my life. This has taken over my family. The first step of repentance is recognition. It's looking yourself in the mirror and going, I, we, got issues here. And once you recognize that, then you're able to accept the invitation of Jesus. And I want you to look at what Jesus is offering here. I've highlighted it. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest. I will give you rest, and you will find rest. And these guys are coming up behind me and playing, because when I read that verse this week, there was a song that came to mind. And I asked us to close with it at both campuses, so Tiffany will be singing this song uh, after the message as well. And it's the song, Bigger Than I Thought You Were. And in that song, it's, uh, it's an invitation, if you will. It's a prayer. And it's taking the invitation of Jesus, but putting us in the context. Like, we have a hard time accepting this invitation of Jesus. Because Jesus says, I'll give you rest. And we know that. But we think, you don't realize how bad my life is messed up, Jesus. I mean, you don't realize. If you had any idea how messed up this situation was if you had any idea how lost I was if you had any idea how far I've let this thing go I'd, we can't accept the invitation because we think our doubts are too much or our fears are too much or our worries are too much or our messes are just too much for any person to clean up and so we got to clean ourselves up before we come to him but in this song what they're doing is the author's just saying speak to me when the silence stills my voice because you understand me it's a song sung to God come to me in the valley of unknowns you understand me I believe but help me overcome my unbelief you understand me I want to invite us to close today by singing this song together and or praying this song together and I want to give you the opportunity to do one of two things. You can stay right in your seat and pray it as we sing it. If you want to pray with somebody, though, 
because I know some folks may be here today and like, you don't understand what I was going through and you hit some of it or maybe, maybe I didn't, but I just need somebody to pray with me. I've asked some of our campus shepherds and I don't remember who all volunteered. I got two or three couples that, that volunteered, but campus shepherds, why don't, if, if you volunteered, would you go ahead and head back that way? So, um, but I'm gonna have some folks in the back and they'll be available for prayer. And during this song, if you want to go pray with somebody, you just go back. So the Merles are going back there and the Lewis is going back there. Um, if you want to go back and pray with somebody, you go back and pray with one of those folks. And it's not, nobody's going to announce anything. You don't have to give them your email or anything like that. You're just praying with them. That's it. If you need to step out in the hallway and pray because you need more silence, that's okay. You can do that too. The rest of us are going to pray this prayer to God. And it's a prayer that we will pray throughout the entire series. So let's stand together. Let me begin with prayer, and then I'll hand it off to these guys. Father, you're a big God, and we sometimes forget how big you are, and how capable you are, and how willing you are to take our hurts and fears and doubts and messes and mistakes and addictions and sins and just to take them you've invited us to find rest in you and God the hardest thing we can do is to say I will rest in you and then I'll leave the rest in your hands it requires a tremendous amount of faith for us to do that and it's why we struggle so much we think I got this I can handle it and it requires so much faith to actually turn it over to you and say well I will rest in the father's hands and leave the rest in the father's hands father hear our prayer as we pray